happy place. One, two, three, four, five. And count to five, it's pretty good to be alive. That it's great to be alive. When you play in records with John. Hey, all you lucky listeners out there in earbud land, and welcome to another exciting episode of Playing Records with John. I'm your host, John, and this episode is a tribute to the music of Neil Innes. If you know who Neil Innes is, then, well, you know, but if you don't, Neil Innes was a a comedian and musician who uh, uh, worked extensively with Monty Python on on various projects, doing music for them, as well as being uh, one of the songwriters behind the seminal surrealist pop group Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Um, He was also the chief musical force behind the Ruddles, which is still the only Beatles satire that you need. And he's continued uh, to record and release music under his own name uh, up until his death uh, one year ago today on December 29th of 2019 at the age of 75. This episode of the podcast is just going to be a tribute to those various projects I just mentioned and and maybe a couple others. And as a co-host, I couldn't think of a better person to talk to than my buddy Skiz Sizik, who is a filmmaker and musician. And I just happened to know that he was uh, also a Neil Innes fan. If you want to catch up with Skiz online, I'm going to just send you to his website, skiz.net. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, do it at G-I-N-N-I-W, that's G-I-A-N-N-I-D-U-B-Y-A. So now, that's enough of that. It's time for the music of Neil Ennis. Hello, testing. One, two. Testing. One, two. How do you do? Testing. One, two, it's one. Has it been for you a thing where knowing you were having this conversation, you kind of dove back into Neil Innes and his work, or is he someone whose stuff you've kind of kept in rotation over the years? I pretty much keep it in rotation. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine a year has gone by since the Ruddles first came out that I haven't listened to that album at least once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a, a few years ago, I finally completed my Bonzo dog band collection. Um, so it's not like I'm finding new Bonzo albums that I haven't heard yet and then playing them to death. So I, I've slowed right. down a little bit on Bonzos. But then uh, I'm still finding Neil Innes records and Neil Innes related records and mm-hmm. used bins that I didn't already have. So, you know, once or twice a year, I get something new from Neil that I haven't heard before, play it to death for a few weeks and then file it. Yeah. How did you feel? I mean, obviously these aging rockers are going to start to die, but you know, 75 is not so old that he couldn't have had another decade or so with us, or maybe produce some more work. How did you feel when you heard that he died? I, uh, I mean, I guess I saw on social media, somebody posted an article that a Monty Python member had died in the photo. I didn't recognize who it was. And I clicked the link and it said Neil Innes. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting that the press is actually giving him credit as being a member of Monty Python. It wasn't just Terry Gilliam killing his career again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I looked at the picture and I was like, oh, they, they cropped it so close that I didn't notice those eyes. I mean, Neil Innes has a very distinctive look. And for some reason, I just didn't realize that was him in that photo. And then as soon as I realized who they were talking about, my heart just kind of sank. You know, I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, oh man, not not Neil Innes. Right. I mean, he's yeah. one of those guys you just love. And and everything I see with him, I watched some interviews before this conversation to kind of get whatever information I could have about some of these songs and some of the some of the origin uh, of some of the things that he did in his career. And I was struck. I mean, I got choked up just watching interviews. He is such like a, a gentle soul, yeah. like a kind person. And it made me think about one of the things that set the Bonzo Dog Duda Band, formerly the Bonzo Dog Dada Band, and later the Bonzo Dog Band. <laughs> and I just say the Bonzos. Yeah, the Bonzos <laughs> is fine. I just wanted the listeners who aren't well versed in this to know that this is a band that started when when he was in art school, and so they called themselves the Bonzo Dog Dada Dada Band. And they got tired of explaining what that meant. And so they changed it to Duda. And then I think eventually they got tired of having such a long name. And so they shortened it to just Bonzo Dog Band. For all of their targets and for all of the sometimes very dark humor that would creep into some Bonzo material, there was a playfulness and a friendliness and a sort of upbeat quality to it where it never felt like it was miserable or mean the way that Frank Zappa can seem at times. And I'm not knocking Zappa. I'm just saying he was a guy who's, you felt the seething hatred when he did like a pop pastiche, you felt that he hated it. He had a point to make. Yes. Uh, The Bonzos, I think, were amusing themselves. Right. And when they did a pop song, it was, you felt some kind of like, there was a loving deconstruction of pop music maybe that they were involved in or like an adding to a pop trope. One of the songs that jumps to mind I always think of for them is the intro and the outro, which is just a brilliant song where they never get to playing the song. It's just an introduction, but they start introducing ridiculous, you know, every possible instrument is in the band, weird celebrities, weird people from history are in the band. That is a good example of the Bonzo humor. You can you can name check Hitler in the song, but it's mentioned in a very silly way. Billy Butlin spoons. And looking very relaxed, Adolf Hitler on vibes. Nice. Princess Anne on sousaphone. Introducing Liberace clarinet. With Ghana Ted Armstrong on vocals. Lord Snooty and his pals tap dancing. In the groove with Harold Wilson violin. Franklin McCormack on harmonica. Over there, Eric Clapton, ukulele. Hi, Eric. On my left, Sir Kenneth Park, bass. That was the first Bonzo song I ever heard, thanks to Scott Wallace Brown, who uh, he and I play together in the awkward sounds of Scott and Skiz, and we were once booked to open for Neil Innes. Mm-hmm. And uh, something happened, Neil had to cancel. Uh, but the two of us, for the next couple years, the timing just worked out that Neil came around on tour on one of our birthdays. So one year I took Scott to see Neil Innes on his birthday and another year he took me to see Neil Innes on my birthday. And uh, we got to meet him. He was super nice. I also met him in Atlanta one night just by chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, was in town for Dragon Con and a friend of mine said, hey, do you want to go in this private room at this restaurant and meet Terry Gilliam? He's back there having dinner. And I was like, yeah, you know, Brazil's one of my favorite movies. I want to meet Terry Gilliam. And we go back there and there's this guy sitting across the table from Terry Gilliam. And we're kind of standing around waiting for like some seats to open up because we weren't supposed to be there. And I was like, hey, who's the guy sitting across the table from Terry Gilliam? My friend, uh, Jay Edwards is, is my friend. Uh, 
he's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, it looks a lot like Neil Ennis. He's like, yeah, that's the name of the other guy that's supposed to be here. I'm like, oh my God, that's Neil Ennis. <laughs> so when a seat opened up next to Neil, that's I was when you push Terry Gilliam down yeah. so that you can get to Neil Ennis. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sat down next to Neil and across from Terry Gilliam. And I didn't get to talk to Gilliam very much, but I had a great conversation with Neil. And he was, I mean, every everybody that's met him says that he's just the sweetest guy. And he really was. I mean, mm -hmm. he had, you know, I'm sure he probably gets tired of talking to the fans, but he, he doesn't let it show. So that's interesting. I did not know that you had the, uh, the sort of brushes with him in terms of professional uh, possibilities of, of sharing a bill. That's, that's really cool. I would love to ask you how that went, but it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. it's, I mean, the, the story was that, that uh, he had a guarantee of a certain portion of his money to be paid to him, I think, 48 hours in advance. I, I don't remember the actual details, but basically the venue didn't pay him what they were supposed to pay him when they were supposed to. And so he didn't even come to town. Um, that's the story we got from his management. The club told a different story, something about lack of ticket sales, but I can't believe <laughs> there was a lack of ticket sales because it seemed like there were an awful lot of disappointed people. Yeah. Like, and, and we still played. We showed up and played. And I think there was maybe one guy that didn't get the word that Neil canceled and he stood there and watched us. How did he first pop up on your radar? How did you first become aware of Neil Innes and who he is? Uh, the Ruddles. When, when the Ruddles aired, um, I... I don't even think I knew what that was or that it was going to be on. I just saw a commercial that it was coming up next. And I think it was my bedtime. <laughs> and My brother and I begged my dad, can we stay up and watch this? And we thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. And it is. Uh, yeah. It's... I mean, it is one of the funniest things. <laughs> yeah. It so embodies that it's so off the cuff and it's got so many kind of reality breaking jokes in it, but it also is extremely cleverly constructed. Yeah. And of course it has the Beatles storyline to kind of lean on. So if you are a Beatles aficionado, which I was growing up, the fact that they were satirizing not just the obvious things about the Beatles, but some of the subtler things too. Like one of my favorite jokes is uh, when Eric Idle's... Um, uh, host announcer persona says that they recorded their first album in 20 minutes and the second album took even longer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many. I mean, and, and over the years I got tired of Eric idols. Uh, he recycles a lot of his shtick. Yeah. But the first time I saw it, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, yeah. these days I don't laugh at it as much, but man, I thought it was funny. Then of course I was 11, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so after it aired that night, it was a few months later, I found the record in a cutout bin, you know, the record with the sticker on that says free record with this 20 page book. <laughs> and I got it and it became my favorite Beatles album and still is my favorite Beatles album. So that's when I saw, I'm pretty sure that's where I first saw the name Neil Ennis. And what, uh, around the same time, like I didn't know that there was a Monty Python connection and I don't think I would have known his name from Monty Python, but I had this book called Grimm's Clowns on the Road. And I started noticing that there were a bunch of names in this book that were also involved in the Ruddles. And so that got me kind of curious, like, who are these people? You know, it seems like there's this really cool scene in, in Britain of comedians and musicians doing funny musical stuff. So anyway, fast forward mm -hmm. uh, a long time, like a few decades, and I had reviewed the... Uh, the VHS remaster release of the Ruddles for a zine. And I had mentioned Ennis's connection with uh, Monty Python. 
And a friend of mine schooled me. He's like, how can you mention Monty Python and not mention Bonzo Dog Band? I'm like, I didn't know about Bonzo Dog Band. Right. <laughs> like somehow Bonzo Dog Band escaped my radar, even though they are so right up my alley. I can't believe nobody ever pulled me aside and said, listen to this. And so uh, Scott Wallace Brown, who I mentioned earlier, I told him this and we worked together at a video store. He brought in a Bonzo CD, popped it in. The intro and the outro was the first thing that came on and I was hooked. Like from that moment on, I became a completist. I had to find every Bonzo record there is. I even have the reunion album from like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, but yeah, and, and then I also started collecting everything Neil Innes and all the Bonzo uh, solo albums from everybody, you know, the Fifth Stan Shell and Roger Ruskin Spear and anyone else I can find. Well, that's an interesting thing to note, I think, um, is that viewing Neil Innes as I do as this kind of you know, mild-mannered musical genius of, of sorts. The fact that he wasn't even the main creative force behind the Bonzo experience. Like he yeah. was he was kind of the... The conventional... The guy who would write <laughs> pop songs, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the rest of them were these outsized personalities. I mean, I feel like we could have a totally different conversation that would be just as fun um, about the Bonzo dog band and what that was and how that evolved. And yeah, Viv Stanshall is such an original and such a unique force and was doing so many things that to me now feel very forward thinking in the comedic sense. The way they were approaching goofing on rock music was, um, I, I think, ahead of its time. I mean, th there was that just that level of sarcasm they had that was couched in, I believe, the art school background that they shared. I think that's what gave it this weird legitimacy that it didn't feel like straight up parody music or novelty music. It had this weird art project aspect to it. So that yes, when one of Neil Innes's very tuneful and likable songs would come along, I mean, they do what they can to kind of scruff them up within the Bonzo framework, but it was sort of like an exaggerated version of what you might've seen within the Beatles of saying, okay, Paul is the pop one, you know, and John is the rock one or whatever. It was like Neil Innes was definitely the Paul in that case of uh of the bonzos which is what's strange that then when they did the ruddles later not the bonzos but when he was involved in the ruddles later he wasn't assuming the paul role he was ron nasty he was the john lennon role and i think he was hilarious uh that voice and that persona but i don't want to get ahead of ourselves here we're going to jump into your first selection here in a second i just wanted to ask another question before we got to that which is just is there at this point for you a favorite neil innes incarnation well, that's a tough one i mean i never get tired of listening to the ruddles i sometimes i get tired of listening to to the bonzos because the silliness is just it, it reminds me of when i was in college and the buddies of mine and i who would get together and make silly music and we were very amused by it and now in my 50s a little embarrassed by it they are one of those bands similar to the way people feel when you put on zappa actually where like it's you got to be a deep fan to really want to put that on like one of my favorite zappa albums is um we're only in it for the money and that album's got all these super catchy songs on it. But if you're not a devotee, you'll have a, what the hell are we listening to kind of quality. And I think the Bonzos have that too, where it's just, yeah, it's a lot to take. I, I think I, I figured out that I had 126 Bonzo songs and I narrowed it down to 19 favorites. <laughs> so the, the, the ratio isn't good. And that's really just the ones I would put on a, on a mixed tape right. and listen to in the car. But I would still, I mean... I still listen to all the albums all the way through, you know, every now and then. Yeah. Well, let's get to our first selection, which actually you chose a song that I was going to put 
on my list. So I was really happy to see that we get a chance to talk about this. It's a song called Protest Song. It's it's such a pure Dylan parody, but also of a certain kind of pose that like people inspired by Dylan might adopt. If you sit down with an acoustic guitar, um, this is the kind of song you might you know you might picture someone creating. What 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 was it about Protest Song that that made you choose it? Uh it's just funny uh, and so well done there there's uh the soundtrack to the movie walk hard the dewey cox story mm-hmm. there's a song on there called royal jelly that's kind of the same i guess it's not the same idea it, it's it they're both sort of parroting the dylan-esque folk singer and uh but in different ways and ennis's parody is just so it's funny he's nasty Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Before he was nasty, he was he was nasty. Right. Uh, and it just opens with that that great intro, which if we're about to hear it, I'm not going to say it. Uh, this is a protest song. Ladies and gentlemen, I've suffered for my music. Now it's your turn. full cliche in there it's got the taking too long to tune and not really getting in tune it's the guy playing a harmonica who has no business playing a harmonica he's he's not sure how to sing the song he tries it a couple different ways i just yeah it's it's such a um brutal takedown of my worst fear of when i have ever put on a show and it's just me and an acoustic guitar that is my greatest fear is that even just that that performance, that sort of performance that we've all seen at an open mic night, that that's what's going to be in someone's head and they're just going to instantly judge you. It's one of the few reasons why I feel funny about being a, you know, a white guy with an acoustic guitar. It just seems like this, this might be what you're going to get. We've all been at a club. We've all heard countless performers who basically sound like that. Yeah. Except that their songs aren't usually as good as that. No, that's actually, you're right. I mean, that's a catchy song. Like the lyrics flow, they don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. But mm-hmm. uh, 
Well, know? I would say that's a point of the song too, is that these lyrics don't really connect. They don't right. really make any sense. But I mean, that chorus, like that gets stuck in my head. You yeah. know, I'll find myself singing it. I'll even sing like the false start where he kicks it in an octave higher and realizes it's the wrong octave. <laughs> At least he can't go there. Rain, <laughs> rain, rain. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's so brilliant. And then, you know, there's so many different versions of him doing it uh, on different records and he does it the same way every time. And mm -hmm. I think one of the times I saw him, he did it and it was exactly like the recording and it never gets old for me. Like, right. you know, I, I, it's just one of the funniest songs. Well, there's a confidence with working a crowd that's built into that. Like, it's very funny. You can hear the crowd kind of getting it. I mean, they know there's, they know they're seeing Neil Innes, so they know it's comedy it would be really funny to see him performing this for a crowd that didn't know who Neil Innes was. <laughs> um, maybe they wouldn't laugh openly. But... It's like the first time I saw Spinal Tap, it was in a packed audience that didn't know it was a joke. Oh, wow. And they were like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> you know, it was a bunch of metalheads and me and my little punk rock friends. And, and you know, we were in danger. And we're like, come on, man. That's that's Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. Right. This be is respectful. Don't laugh. <laughs> This is hard rock. Well, I mean, it's like, you're right. There's different versions of it. I've seen him do it on um, the show, the Rutland Weekend Television, which is a show from 1975 that was a, a real partnership between Eric Idle and Neil Innes. This was after Monty Python, the Flying Circus show was off the air. This was after the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band was broken up, or at least they were on a hiatus at that point. So this was, I said we were going chronologically. This was the one song that kind of steps outside of that, at least at the beginning, because I did want to, it feels like such a great preface to the rest of this stuff. Like this is, that song is a great example of what Neil Innes does well, which is a style parody that is actually a pretty good example of what it's paradising. And yet there's this meta aspect to it, the comedy of that character. Well, so back in time to uh, Neil Innes' musical beginnings, uh, we've talked a lot about who the Bonzo Dog Band are, um, but one of my favorite songs from them is, is a Neil Innes track that is kind of one of his earliest stabs at a, um, at a Beatles kind of pastiche, if you will. Um, I'd read that he was inspired by the sound of Penny Lane. When he heard that record, he actually was was pretty wowed by the production value of it and the way it used an orchestra and the way it used the sort of, uh, I guess it's like a piccolo trumpet. That sound, you know, that is like the little solo instrument on Penny Lane, that really stuck in his mind as an element that he wanted to use. And so that kind of dovetailed with um, uh, a... a a song he was building based on the idea he said he'd been reading uh, John Paul Sartre's Nausea, which is a book that I believe deals with a drunk running around sort of like pondering his existence and like wondering if he's real and wondering if inanimate objects are as real than, as him or more real than him. And um, Neil Innes said he, he threw the book down in disgust. Uh, but then was driving around and he saw an equestrian statue in a, in a small British town. And he thought, well, wait a minute, if, if, if the lamppost might have consciousness or might have some relation to human consciousness, like how does a, how does an equestrian statue feel? So that was supposedly what inspired this song along with the kind of sonic template of what Penny Lane did. So without any further ado, here is the equestrian statue, which is uh, from Gorilla, which is the first Bonzo Dog album from 1967. Once a month on a Friday there's a man With a mop and bucket in his hand To him it's just another working day So he whistles as he rubs and scrubs away Here comes the equestrian statue Prancing up and down the swell 
little old lady stop and say, well, I declare, it's a sight to bring you joy, you feel so gay, and it's guaranteed to brighten up your day, if it's grey. story I heard is that they would go to flea markets and buy used 78 records uh, because nobody wanted them at the time so they could get them really cheap and they learned so many of their songs from these old 78s that were forgotten pretty much and I thought that's that's pretty cool I mean it's sort of like you know it's sort of like my generation and 60s garage and psych yeah you know reading ugly things and, and these these bands that you know, they pressed a hundred copies and nobody outside of their friends ever got them. But then decades later, somebody finds a copy and is like, this is a great song. Let's cover it. What they were doing involved kind of what must have been at the time, very old fashioned music. And yeah. I think in the sixties, there was a thread of that sort of, I don't know what you call that, that like, there's a lot of that it's going like on. jazz, but it's like, it's like dance hall music. I remember yeah. hearing an interview with them, uh, where they were talking about how angry they were when Winchester Cathedral became a big hit. Because <laughs> it's like somebody is stealing our shtick and they're being way more successful with it. Right. And it's right. I mean, Winchester Cathedral was all over the radio when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I never heard Ponzo's until I was in my 20s. Winchester Cathedral Well, I know you have uh, chosen a Bonzo track as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your your choice? Yeah, well, I mean, it was hard to uh, to narrow the Bonzos down, but there's one particular song that I can listen to over and over again. I keep wanting to cover it in one of my bands, but there's so many lyrics that I don't know if I can learn them all. Um, but I'm still going to try at some point. But the song is Humanoid Boogie from uh, the album that was Donut and Granny's Greenhouse. I think in the UK, but here in the US, the album was Urban Spaceman. If I oh, got that interesting. Correctly. I think they're the same album, except the US version has that name and that song on it. Whereas the, I could be wrong about this. Don't quote me. Uh, <laughs> you can say it. what you want to say, yeah. and I will chime in <laughs> in a stentorian authoritative voice to correct you if you're wrong. Don't worry. Hi there. I didn't even know this was an Ennis song. I'm not, you know what? I never really checked. I just assumed <laughs> it was. And one of the reasons I assumed it was is because I have Neil Ennis doing it live mm -hmm. much later in his career in a completely different genre. Right. Like, a, 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 which. A non humanoid well, genre? Well, <laughs> he, he does it, I think, kind of more as a bluegrass song than as a rock song. Oh, okay. And he did, a, I have a bunch of covers, him doing covering his old songs mm -hmm. in different styles. So I guess he was having fun with that. But I guess the reason that I think it's a uh, in this song without actually checking the songwriting credits is because he covered it much later. And I think that's pretty clearly his voice singing the lead part. There's a lot of vocals on this song, but, th but that sounds like him singing. Oh, 
So yes, we, we did confirm. It's written by Neil, um, which is a relief, I'm sure, to you. <laughs> but also, we determined that it is one of the songs that uh, Andy Partridge covered recently for like a, a single that he put out. And, um, you know, listening to that little snippet of Andy's version, I love Andy Partridge, but uh, I don't think he should have slowed it down. I think nah. that that song kind of wants to be as fast as it is, or maybe even yeah, faster. I guess if I didn't know the original, I would like the Andy Partridge version better. But right. yeah, that's a song that should be sped up, not slowed down. My next selection is another Bonzo song that is a, um, I mean, to me, the song is just hilarious. Uh, we'll talk about what it's about after we play it, but a little background on the this song. We've name-checked Urban Spaceman a couple times, and that was probably their biggest hit, right? That was yeah. their biggest radio I would hit. Think so. That was, depending on where you read, different Wikipedia pages say that it was co-produced by Paul McCartney and Gus Dudgeon, or it was co-produced by Paul McCartney and uh, Gary Braun. But either way, it was under the pseudonym Apollo T. Vermouth. And so when they did another song called Mr. Apollo, uh, I don't know if that was a sideways reference to Paul McCartney or not, but definitely this song, Mr. Apollo, is a reference to the, if you're a comic book fan from your childhood, you saw the Charles Atlas ads, you know the image of a skinny wimp getting sand kicked in his face on the beach and then uh, by a bully. And then him and he going goes off home and kicks a chair, kicks while, a chair. while holding a book. <laughs> while holding a book, but then he orders the Charles Atlas, I guess, system. I don't know what it is. And then he becomes so strong that he can then go beat up the bullies. And this song is to me hilarious for the way that it takes that idea of becoming strong and then beating up the bullies, and and like points out the sort of viciousness of that fantasy that your goal is to go and just demolish somebody. Um, we'll talk about it after we listen to it. But from their uh, album from 1969, which was called Tadpoles, this is the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band with Mr. Apollo. because it does have such a strong melodic underpinning and it's got that kind of Beatles-y quality that Neil Innes could bring. But it's got Viv Stanshall right. sort of doing his thing all over the song. So I don't know if there are many other songs in their catalog that have quite that same marriage where it sounds so much like the song was written for Viv Stanshall to do his shtick on it. And yet it's got a strong uh, Neil Innes quality to it. So 
Yeah. And now I have to re-listen to all the Bonzo albums and pay attention to the songwriting. Right. <laughs> and see, like, how often you get Neil and Viv shining equally on a, on the same song. I honestly don't know how many they co-wrote, but this one, if, if there are many they co-wrote, this one actually feels like a kind of a perfect marriage of the two guys. And we should mention Viv Stanshall also has sadly died. Um, died in a fire, didn't he? Did he? I think he died in a fire. don't remember. Oh, I'll correct myself. There's a really good BBC documentary on him floating around out there that uh, is fantastic. Though sad because, you know, after the Bonzos, he just kind of got a little wacky. Right. I guess he already was a little wacky. How sweet to be an idiot. But the next song is actually one of his first solo uh, records. Actually, it might be his first. It's, um, I think it's this title song, right? How Sweet to Be an Idiot. Yes. I believe that's his first. Now, I've never seen a copy of this mm-hmm. record. Like, I know it exists, obviously, but I've never seen one. And uh, I don't know if it, maybe it had, maybe it wasn't released in the States, or maybe it was just limited release, or maybe it's just something I've never stumbled across. But I, in all my years of looking, I've never actually seen a physical copy of of his first solo album. I have seen the next couple in a couple of secondhand shops over the years. But yeah, this first one, the cover is him kind of sitting on the floor and he's got a duck he's head. got a duck on his head, but he also is holding a, a rude squash up from yeah. between his legs. Um, How sweet to be an idiot. How sweet. sweet to be an idiot what was it about this song i mean it's outside of just being lovely uh what was it about this song that stood out to you that's uh, that's it it's a lovely song but with a title like how sweet to be an idiot you don't expect it to be that good of a song right and uh it's just i don't know it's beautiful and then the, the video that comes with it where he's in that weird outfit with the duck on his head and he encounters himself as a giant and I, it's just a great video which if the video was made when the song was made I, i'm not sure when the video was made but Definitely like years before MTV made music videos so so mm-hmm. popular. It's a really cool video. <laughs> yeah. The duck thing, he's wearing a duck on his head in that video. That has become a bit of a running thing, so much so that there are some interview clips where a very sober, straight-faced Neil Ennis is answering questions very thoughtfully with a duck on his head. And even um, like the T-shirt I bought at his show like a few years ago has the duck on it yeah. and, and the protest song intro quote on the back of it. Mm-hmm. My next selection, and I'm going to actually cheat a little bit just because there's not so much, there's only so much you can say about Ruddle's songs. They are clever. They are uh, going to be really clever to you if you know the music of the Beatles. If you don't know the music of the Beatles, you'll probably still, I mean, I would imagine this could, if you heard, if you didn't hear the Beatles and then you heard the Ruddles, they may supply you with whatever benefit you get from the Beatles. These songs are so close. And for the, for the most part, they're very straight faced about being rock songs of their era. There are a few of them that are explicitly jokey and have lyrics that are funny on their own, but a lot of them are just kind of nicely done pop songs. So the two Ruddles songs that, that I've chosen are, uh, are two of those. A 
glass of wine with Gertrude Stein I know I'll never share But I don't mind, that's just the kind of course each man must bear I'm on my way, I cannot stay another day You're so pusillanimous, oh yeah Nature's calling and I must go Another Day is probably my favorite song that's on that Ruddles album that came out. Um, and I do think it exists on its own. I mean, obviously there are, it's got a little bit of For No One in there. It's got a little bit of like Eleanor Rigby. It's got some Martha My Dear. It's got different songs, as many Ruddles songs do, specific songs that are kind of part of the DNA of it. But I think it has has moved into this other category where it's only about as Beatlesy as other songs people were making, you know, the bands that were uh, contemporaneous with the Beatles were bands doing that the... didn't lose their rights and had to add songwriting credits. Right. <laughs> These songs being close to the actual Beatles song is is part of, or the actual Beatles music is part of their appeal, but it's also this kind of dangerous path that they walk in terms of how original are they? Are they parodies? Are they pastiches? Are they their own things? The Beatles themselves have varying opinions or had varying opinions the about- lawyers definitely have yes. a strong opinion. Well, I mean, I think that like, <laughs> we, we should just give a quick rundown of that. Like George Harrison was so into the Ruddles thing that he took part in it and helped produce the documentary, the mockumentary, All You Need Is Cash. And I think was one of the Beatles who probably always understood the irony of their predicament and the humor of it a little bit more, uh, maybe because he wasn't one of like the two main faces of the group. I think John Lennon and Paul McCartney may have taken it a bit more seriously. By all accounts, Paul was a little bit chapped that someone was kind of lifting his moves. I think John supposedly thought it was hilarious. I, I did hear somewhere that Ringo thought it was really funny, but when it got too close to home with with poking fun at some of the 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 the, the downtimes, the sadder times, I think he said it was a little too much for him to laugh at. But that's a normal human reaction. Linda is the one who kind of chilled Paul out. Like she was like, no, this is really funny, you know, and he was like, okay. Neil Innes supposedly thought that the Ruddles, the name itself, was bad. Like, he did not like it. Like, it came from Rutland Weekend Television, so that's where Ruddles came from. But he said people are going to see this name and think it's pronounced Rudels, because it's R-U-T-L-E-S. <laughs> he said it should have two Ts, or it should maybe be like Boodles or something, you know, like they wear boots. Um, and uh, Eric Idle was like, no, it's got to be the Ruddles. So I think Neil Innes just, that was the one aspect of the project he didn't really have much control over. I think now Ruddles is a great name, but I do remember when I first saw it. Yeah, like, because like, yeah. us Americans, we didn't know about Rutland Weekend Television. Yeah. I was like, well, why Ruddles? But like, yeah, now it's just like, it couldn't be anything else. It's just a pitch perfect parody. So much so that years later, when the Beatles anthology came out, Neil Innes sort of got the group back together, what was left of it, and and came up with an album called The Ruddles Archaeology, which was kind of meant to mirror the way the Beatles anthology albums uh, were done, which was that it would have some new recordings mixed in with old recordings that you just hadn't heard. And as it happened, there were songs that were recorded at the time of the original show that were never used that they were able to put on the archaeology album oh, really? I didn't know yes that. and i believe the song which is interesting because uh someone in the band had died and so they actually were repurposing recordings that featured uh, a, 
a musician who was no longer with us, much the same way that the Beatles anthology records had those songs that were like taken from John Lennon demos and then kind of spruced up by the band. So I think in that sense, it was like a concept. But supposedly when George Harrison heard the archaeology album, um, which... I, you know, just for his blessing, Neil Ennis played it for him. He basically said, "This is uh, this is you." Like, well, that's what I was going to say. It, it, archaeology to me sounds like half of it is a really good follow-up Ruddles album, and the other half is a really good Neil Ennis solo album. Yeah, and there's some there's some fine songs on there. Honestly, there's a couple that I really do like, but the one that I chose is perhaps the most Beatlesy of the bunch and the most old-fashioned Beatlesy of the bunch. It's a song called "Now She's Left You." Now she's left you. But yeah, that that song, I think you can point to the different parts and how they relate to specific Beatles songs. But I also think that's another one, like Another Day, that just sounds like if it had just been on a Beatles record plopped next to those other songs, it would have sounded perfect. There's something so elementally catchy and simple about that song. Um, And the fact that it's on the Archaeology album, which is a bit more, like you said, leaning towards a Neil Innes solo album. I think that's one of the reasons that's a standout track to me is because on that record, it's one of the few songs that actually sounds like it's totally cut from the same cloth as the earlier Rattles album. It was left over from those from those early days. So. So, yeah, I really like some of the songs that sound like new Rattles songs. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, like the the uh, because the Rattles doesn't delve that much into the more serious side of the Beatles. I mean, there's some songs that do it, but it seems like archaeology does that a lot better than the the first Ruddles. And it also, in a weird way, if it is a pastiche of anything, it's a pastiche of one of those late career albums by George Harrison or or Paul McCartney or something. like. I mean, it's got a little bit of that maturity. There's a lot of songs on the, the Recollections. Uh, like I have the Recollections box set. Mm-hmm. And what I found was I, I don't like a lot of it. Yeah. I, I hate to say, and I think it's because he's so good at not not just parroting, but paying tribute to certain styles of music that I don't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of wish he hadn't done it. Or if he, it, I kind of wish that those songs were funnier yeah there's some kind of like making fun of a style of music i don't like but it doesn't sound like he's making fun of it i mean there's like a disco song like well this just sounds like a bad disco song talk about amoeba boogie that's probably it yeah guys who grew up in the 60s listening to 50s rock made some of my favorite music ever in the late 60s into the 70s and then when they got a little bit older and the studio techniques got a little bit better and maybe they weren't so hungry anymore and maybe they were stretching songs out it became a little bit more jammy and a little bit more like 
I don't know if I'll call it anything but like boogie woogie music. There's just this weird quality that it's like, it's a weird form of nostalgia for 50s rock that is filtered through 70s production. And it's like, it is, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. it loses that <laughs> elemental kind of coolness and immediacy of a 50s song. And yet it still is playing with some of the same chord structures. And it just doesn't, I mean, this is going to sound like, I don't know, maybe this is offensive to everybody, but it sounds a little bit like Jimmy Buffett or something like that, where it's no, like- I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily- there are still a lot of songs on those recollections albums that I do think are great. Yeah. And and show that he was a really great songwriter and and singer. Yeah. And instrumentalist. So your next selection is a bit of a tongue twister, just the name. Yeah. So uh what noise a noise a noisy oyster. I actually had a conversation with Neil Ennis about that song and uh he kind of just had this look on his face like why that song? Of all the songs, why is that? Why is that the one you want to talk to me about? Why am I sitting in a <laughs> restaurant talking about this song? <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's corny, it's cheesy, but you know it sounds like you went all out producing this recording of this song that is just silly. Yeah. You know, and, and I love them for doing that, for making that effort. And it's actually kind of catchy. I mean, if I had kids, I'd be playing the song for my kids because I think they'd think it was funny and they'd go around singing it all the time and it would probably drive me nuts. But, you know, <laughs> better than, uh, what's that uh, baby shark thing? Yeah, baby shark. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, no, that song is very, uh, very catchy, and you're right. Something about the—it's almost like ostentatious how how almost overproduced it is for yeah. such a for such a silly little <laughs> idea. Now, I did find a novelty song called "What Noise and Noise and Oyster," that didn't seem to have any relation to this song. Are you aware of this no. song at all? Lots of folks are worried over how they'll pay the rent. Some folks are annoyed because they can't lay up a cent. Others are perplexed about the latest picture show. But there is really only just one thing I'd like to know. What kind of a noise, a noise, a noise, No matter what I do, the answer won't come through. What kind of a noise, a noise, a noise, That's a question I would like an answer to. A little piece of cheese, a noise, a mouse, there is no doubt. But here's the one thing I've been trying hard to figure out. What kind of a noise, a noise, a noise, when a noise in a stew? It sounds like a song that Neil Innes may have written and would have covered. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got, like it's an old timey kind of goofy song that sounds like it's in the vein of something he would have done. And so when I was looking for, uh, the oyster song, I, like I could find this version when you mentioned it to me, and I was like, "Oh, the, I don't know for a fact that it isn't that, that Neil Innes didn't cover this obscure song, you know." But it's it is a similar 
lyric, but a, a different. I think he adds a little bit to the tongue twister by saying, "Yeah, a noisy a oyster." Noisy oyster. Yes. <laughs> and, but, he, and he answers the question. Right. right that's true. <laughs> that's true. But yeah, so I guess we kind of covered what made you what made you choose that song. But is there anything else you'd you'd like to say about that one? And and do we know when? I don't know when it's from. When it was it. made. And actually, uh, I should say where I got it. Like back in the in the aughts. Uh, if you were following Neil's website, it seemed like he pretty frequently shared MP3s of a lot of songs that had never been released. Mm -hmm. And I downloaded every single one of them. Um, and that's where I got the, like he does versions of Humanoid Boogie and Urban Spaceman in a different style from the versions we know of. There's live versions of Ruddle songs, even a live version of Brave Sir Robin, uh, it, it's he he shared so much music i mean it was it was a website that i visited pretty frequently just to see like oh what's he going to share next mm -hmm. that's cool do you have all those downloaded somewhere yes i do yeah. okay <laughs> well, we'll talk um let's see my next selection and actually i'm going to call this my last selection since i kind of doubled up on the uh on the ruddles portion of the conversation um this is a song that I first saw him perform in a different way. He was doing an interview and the person was asking him about, and this was from the seventies, I guess, from the mid, mid to late seventies, maybe the early eighties at the, at the latest, they were talking to him about putting together a performance. And he kind of used this song as an example of when he does a performance, he, you know, like he goes, he puts on a fake mustache and he puts on a little hat and he goes and he sings this song, which the later version that he liked to do live, there was this additional gag of uh, something for donkeys to sing along to, where he goes, hee-haw, 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 hee-haw. And he tries to get the crowd to sing along with that. And that's kind of the version I had seen, but the actual, earliest version of this song, which is called uh, Love is Getting Deeper, doesn't have the hee-haw, hee-haw part in it. It was from the Book of Records television show. And it's it's just a little vignette on the show where, you know, someone comes home, a man comes home from work and his, his tired wife, who's been dealing with the kids in the household all day, wants him to fix the sink. And it's, so it's a little picture of, of domesticity like that. But, you know, she's had a rough day and he's had a rough day and they both kind of want the other one to, to respect the day that they've had. And there's this one lyric in it that it's like, it's one of the verses and it's just, I don't know if you ever have that where it's a lyric that you, you read it and you go, oh my God, like. It got me. It just gets me. Um, it's it's after the song where he's kind of been comparing his 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 problems as a as the the breadwinner, and she's talking about being the homemaker. I mean, which is a very old fashioned uh, you know scenario to paint. But the song does lend credence to the idea that the person who's being the homemaker is working as hard as the person who had left the house. So it's a little bit more modern than than you would think. But this the final verse in the song is um, the kettle boils, the baby cries. I pick him up. His little teeth are coming through. I dry his eyes, you break a cup, and underneath the kitchen light, your pretty face is close to tears, and so my heart goes out to you. As we embrace, love reappears to play its part. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's very and sweet. Great melody to go no, with. No, and it that too. yes, and as as you're about to hear, the melody of the song is just is just gutting. So it's like I like the silly song for donkeys to sing along to aspect of him doing it live with a fake mustache, but I'm really glad I found that the song in its earliest form existed as a very pure again, what we've been kind of saying. This guy's got a very sweet nature and a like he's observant about human nature, but he's not particularly snarky about it, even when he's even when he is being funny. And this song is not really funny. I'm it's just pretty. Um, so here is uh, Love is Getting Deeper. 
have no time for lovers' games of hide and seek or cat and mouse. I come home tired, you call me names, you work all week at keeping house. I understand the drudgery of what you do, but don't you think the office is the same for me? You ask me to unblock the sink. Life is getting shorter, nickel, diamond, quarter. Talk is getting cheaper, love is getting deeper. So yes, just lovely. And uh, and again, evidence of what we've been saying all along, which is that this guy could could write a tune that like if you divorce it from what you expect from Neil Ennis, like that song right there outside of the sort of uh, jokey, very mildly jokey French accent that he sings when he says dipper instead of deeper. Like it's it's a very straight faced song, but it's also beautiful that you could get away with doing that. And also, I think maybe the fact that it's so pretty means you can also get away with a little bit of jokiness without spoiling the the poignancy of the thing. I'd like to see uh, the video that goes with it. I wonder if that, if I've seen it or not. <laughs> it's like the the character, and it's I'm looking at you. Brought the copy of Ennis Book of Records with you. Um, it's that character. You you the, the Joel Gray the, the Joel cabaret, Gray cabaret guy. <laughs> the sort of yes, he's here to be the master of ceremonies, but there is some. He's got like a little bit of white like makeup on. His hair slicked back. Um, He's sitting in a what looks like an old timey theater watching like a silent film. All right. I think I have. And yeah, he's playing the, the piano and singing the song. So yeah, it's a little think- bit of a like I think all the segments on that show were sort of little bl- blown up into these little film pieces that that had a story component to them. And a bunch of them. And I think that one included is on the DVD that's in the in the deluxe or Ledux box set <laughs> you know it didn't even occur to me that the, the, the i had it Ledux. for a while before i understood <laughs> the reference um i think your last selection is also from this album correct yeah and it, it goes along with with this last song really well in that like i was saying earlier when he would pay tribute to a style of music that i don't like unless the song was funny then I wasn't likely to like the song. and But when it was a, a style of music that I do like and the song is funny, that's when I really love Neil Ennis. And mm-hmm. this next song, which even though it was from the same album, uh, I prefer the version that he did live on the uh, Secret Policeman's Ball. And the song is spontaneous. And, and we've already said Protest Song has one of the greatest intros of a song. I think Spontaneous has maybe the second greatest intro to a song. <laughs> well, let's, let's see if I agree. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's wonderful to be. <laughs> you know, not so long ago, and it's been very lucky for me. Thank you. The champagne was Canadian The hostess sang a song I contemplated suicide Then you came along You're so spontaneous You hit the spot Nothing but everything is all you've got you're so spontaneous 
affair Gives me a thrill You're so spontaneous Please don't ever change You're so if I rule the world And home on the range You're so spontaneous In each and every way Spontaneous What more can I say? So yeah, that's just great. And you've already talked a little bit about what made you choose it, but I mean, I'm, I'm almost surprised that you have an affinity for that sort of big band kind of stuff. But as I was listening to it and even seeing this kind of outsized personality he puts on to sing these songs, I have to say that I was thinking about Fred Lane. Yeah. Am I off base <laughs> to think that Fred Lane could do a great job with that song? Yeah. I mean, well, it's the same kind of thing. It's it, it, the... Uh... And by the way, explain maybe to people who are listening who Fred Lane yeah, is, if Fred, you can put him in a nutshell. Fred Lane is a strip mine crooner who uh, <laughs> uh, released a few albums in the 70s and 80s uh, that I became obsessed with and then spent 19 years making a documentary about. And, uh, you know, he's sort of like this crazy big band leader who uh, the band really swings and his lyrics are really twisted. And, and this song is way more conventional than Fred Lane. Yes, lyrically it doesn't have the, the kind of twists and turns and kind of almost like uh, Dadaist uh, combinations right. of images and, and lyrics that he would have. But the lyrics and the character of the singer is still very similar in that you're really not quite sure where he's coming from. Right. This this song is funny and odd and, you know, right. and at the same time, cool. I mean, that line, nothing but everything is all you've got. I, you know... <laughs> That, as soon as I heard that line, I'm like, okay, I love this song. That's what you want. I really enjoyed taking this tour through his music, getting ready for this conversation. And I have to say, it was super fun kind of listening to your picks and... Um, and sharing mine with you. Do you have anything else you kind of want to throw out there? Just any observations or thoughts about Neil Ennis before we before we wrap this up? Um, no, just that he'll he'll be missed. And uh, yeah, I I know that there's still plenty of his catalog that I haven't even heard yet. Mm-hmm. So I mean, while he'll be missed, he's he left a lot behind that I'll probably I'll probably die before I hear all of it. I guess that's it. I don't really want to end this show. It feels kind of sudden, but I don't really know what to do. I don't have like a set way of ending these these episodes. I don't have a sign off. I don't have like uh, anything I particularly throw to. So I'm kind of at a loss here. Well, since we have our instruments, why don't we play Neil in a song? If you want to. This guitar here actually was a gift from Neil Ennis. Really? No. <laughs> I don't feel pain If you were to knock me down I'd just get up again I'm the urban spaceman 
over the place I'm the urban spaceman I'm intelligent and clean Second to none It's a lot of fun I never let my friends down I've never made a boo I'm a glossy magazine An advert in the tube I'm the urban spaceman, babe But here comes the twist I don't exist Thanks for joining me, Skiz. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun.